Good morning. Thanks for letting me come and be a part of uh, learning this morning. Hopefully that's our goal. Um, just a little bit of background about myself. I uh, currently a teaching elder in the PTA and a, serving as, as a uh, Navy chaplain for the past 12, 12 years. Uh, providentially, um, able to be stationed here in the big Navy town of Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, but my role now is to educate and to find uh, men to serve as chaplains, seminary students, and whatnot. So uh, I cover about 16 states, so I'm actually flying tomorrow to go to Michigan and Indiana, but, uh, so I travel a bunch, but I try and get here on the weekend. I'm happy to be here with my family, so their Navy lets me uh, live here right now and be stationed here. So, uh, but I'm married to former Londa Bragdon. Uh, a daughter of Elder David Bragdon and, and Linda Bragdon. Uh, we were married almost 25 years ago here at Second, so things have changed a little bit uh, since then, but uh, we're happy this is kind of home for us. And I've got four children, Sophia, who's in college, uh, freshman in college, Josiah, a senior, Naomi, a freshman in high school, and Caroline, a bubbly second grader. So um, a lot of energy in our house, but uh, that's a little bit about myself. But as Kevin and I were talking, and he was kind of talking about this summer, what he was going to be teaching on, I was excited because I've been wrestling with this whole idea and concept of identity um, that you hear about so much in, the, in our culture today. And especially in the military, as I've encountered some service members who are wrestling with this gender identity. Um, as these individuals have come to me in the, few, in the past for counsel, I couldn't help but think about what was, what's been missing in their lives, and it's caused them to end up kind of going down this dangerous path. Uh, so I'm going to kind of use a couple examples from the military and then and kind of focus, uh, turn in there, you see the outline there, but uh, use a book from Carl Truman, and then, um, and then close it out with some scripture passages from Ephesians. Um, but... As these members were coming to me, um, talking about just their struggling with different things, um, the one thing I wanted to, to find is the thing that was missing in their lives. And as they were struggling with their own identity, uh, those are things that just kind of have just been sparking my mind lately over the last couple of years. Um, but before we start talking about identity, I just wanted to, in, in, as far as gender identity and then our identity in Christ... Um, Think about how we identify ourselves with certain things, right? Um, we're in the thick of football season, right? So I would venture to say that uh, there's a lot of Clemson fans in this room. Um, very few, maybe Carolina fans. Sorry, I was a Carolina fan. I grew up in Myrtle Beach, so sorry. But uh, I, I, I pull for Clemson. They're good. My wife likes Clemson. But, um, but we have sports teams we're part of, right, or fantasy leagues that we join, and that kind of uh, is a part of who we are. Um, for some, it's maybe the car they drive, right? Anybody that has a motorcycle, you see, you see them driving down the road and they pass another motorcycle, they kind of wave their hand at each other. They've got this identity, this little group that they have, or even like Jeeps. You start seeing these rubber duckies that are in the, the dashboard of the Jeeps. I don't know if you've noticed that, but next time you see a Jeep, those are, that's, that's an identity thing that they have uh, grouped with their community of, of the Jeep community, right? But our neighborhoods that we live in, the jobs that we have, um, you know, the clothes that we wear, who we follow on social media, whether which, which military branch we're a part of. So go Navy, beat Army. Sorry, Pastor Phillips, but I had to, I had to jab, throw that jab in there really quick. Um, but even the church we attend, 
right? Sometimes those things, uh, they, they all play a factor in the makeup of our identity and who we associate with uh, as individuals. Uh, these areas of identification are, are not sinful or wrong by any means, except for when they start taking the place of the most important identity that, that should be found in Christ. And that should be the first and foremost foundation where we build all the other things that we have that are part of our lives. So how did we get to this point in our culture? Uh, when people are wanting to change the entire makeup of who they are, and as a male or female even, it gets pretty dangerous there. So in light of that, our culture shift to highlight gender identity and even the listing of their pronouns, um, it's, uh, I wanted to kind of give us a brief glimpse on how we might have arrived at this stage in our culture and how our identity in Christ plays a vital role as the church ministering to that lost generation, those people that are struggling with things. Um, for me, the first mention of transgender changes in the military came when I was on deployment in 2015. And uh, I was in the Middle East and uh, on one of the ships, the Navy ships, uh, and providing just chaplain support for their sailors. And I had an opportunity to speak with the commanding officer. Just She and I were out on the, on the um, deck uh, just talking about things going on. And we struck up a conversation about several things, one of which was the new policy back then to allow uh, men or women to change their gender and the Navy, the military, paying for those kind of things. And she looked at me and she said, chaps, where, where am I going to put them? And it was just a, just a simple logistical problem that she had, that it wasn't just about getting into the, the whole idea of the concept of that, but just the logistical part is... Um, because there's birthing for men and there's birthing for women. But the people that are in between, how do, how do I... She didn't know what to do. And I didn't have an answer, and I don't think she was expecting an answer for that. But those are the kind of things that were coming up um, when I was on deployment. But since then, um, I've, I've seen more and more changes taking place to accommodate people to change their gender while they're in the military. Um, and all their gender, although this gender confusion is a small, uh, it's, it's kind of smack dab right in our face. Uh, it's, there are many other conversations I've had with sailors, Marines, and Coast Guardsmen that as they've, they've even kind of struggled with their religious identity. Uh, and, and so opportunities come up, obviously, to talk about these things. But um, I even had one of my submariners who was really confused because... Uh, as those in the military get tattoos and whatnot, I use it as an opportunity to kind of, hey, what's your story behind these kind of things? Well, this guy had every kind of religious emblem on his arms that I could see. And everything from a cross to a crescent moon to a pentagram. And so obviously a little bit of gender confusion going on there, right? Uh, excuse me, not gender, religious confusion um, that was going on with that. Trying, just struggling trying to find his identity. And so in my thought process... Uh, for work as a chaplain and, and my calling as a pastor, I've, I've, I've spent some time trying to formulate this identity crisis or confusion that people are having uh, and see the ways that we can provide counseling and that as a church, how can we provide a source of comfort and hope to those that are hurting, that are struggling, trying to find what's going on. Um, another conversation I had with an officer who came to me for counsel on a couple of things he had this light bulb moment when I told him that his, as his relationship with God was weakening, he, he just said, I, Chaplain, I said, I, I, just, I just don't feel 
connected with God as much. And so we began to kind of talk about this void that had been built up in his life, and he was filling it with all these things uh, to hopefully fill that void. And, and the things he was missing was that relationship with Christ and growing and strengthening that. And so this whole idea of filling our lives with our work or our financial security, our sports teams, all those things we talked about at the beginning, those things will never completely satisfy uh, when we come to understanding what a personal relationship and deep relationship with Christ can do. So we can look at people around us and see their posts on Instagram and Facebook, and, and it may look like they have this flowery, perfect life. Uh, but deep down, if their identity is not grounded in Christ, then all that they are displaying for the world to see is just things that fill the void where Christ needs to be filling those things. So as I was, as I was uh, looking at one of these books, Londa uh, had this nice thick book, so you can show here the difference of our reading styles here. Here's Londa's book, and here's my little book. But um, Carl Truman, I don't know if you've heard of him, he teaches up at Grove City up north of Pittsburgh. He's an OPC guy, but um, he wrote this, this really thick book, and then somebody came out and said, hey, that's, that's some deep stuff. Can you come out with a little, you know, cliff note version? So that, there we are, the simplified version for me. But, but it, I, I'm going to be kind of talking a little bit about this one, Strange New World. Um, it's on your outline there, just to kind of hit a couple things. And there's no way that I can really unpack a lot of this in this short time that we have, but... Three concepts that he talks about, two of which I'm just going to kind of highlight, is this whole idea of expressive individualism, uh, sexual revolution, and then social imagery is the other thing that we're just, we're just not going to get into right now. But um, I just kind of want to whet your appetite to be able to kind of read this book and highlight a few key points to get us thinking about how we need to view things this, in our culture as Christians. Uh, but regarding expressive individualism, Truman writes this, he says, the modern self is one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings. For example, the increasing social sensitivity to criticizing anyone of their personal lifestyle choice reflects a view of the world where each person is free to perform life in whatever way they choose, and they attempt to express disapproval is therefore a blow not simply against particular ways of behaving, but against the right of that person to be who they wish they want to be. Um, now, Truman's not arguing that against human beings having feelings or emotions uh, to express, because after all, God did create us to be emotional beings, right? To have feelings and, and emotions. Um, we're not robots that God made, designed and wiped up, you know, wound up for us. But this idea of expressive individualism individualism is a path that leads people to the next stage, what Truman calls the sexual revolution. So when we think of this term sexual revolution, the first thing that, that popped into my mind is you think about the 1960s and the free love movement, right? And all this kind of, you know, trying to just understand this whole ideology that was being incorporated. Um, homosexuality was no longer considered social stigma anymore. But this aspect of sexual sins didn't just start in the 60s. We can even open up our, our Bible and find sexual sins all throughout different things where, where men and women had sinned against God in a sexual nature. Uh, and so you think about Lot's day, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. Just read those passages and the, and the debauchery and, and, and terrible sins that happened uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Or think about David in Bathsheba, the sin that they committed there. Um, Hosea being married to a prostitute, Gomer. 
uh, Solomon and his many wives. I mean, you can think about all these different things where uh, all this, this whole sexual revolution, these different things came into play. And there's countless number of examples um, in Scripture where people are seeking their own individualism to satisfy their own individualism. Um, you think about uh, what Paul wrote to Timothy of the godless, godlessness that would come in the last days when he wrote in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. Let me read this to you. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those that creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive as a knowledge of the truth. Can we say that that could be written today? In today's culture, that a lot of those factors are involved in our culture and things that we've seen um, today. But uh, the problem that we face now in our culture is that we see more and more of this normalization of these sexual expressions. And we are continually inundated with this narrative and the agenda of the sexual revolution and expressive individualism, if we think about that in so many ways. You think about our education system in a lot of states that there's gender identity sensitivity training that is involved in that. Um, You think about uh, watch any TV show or movie or commercial, and uh, it's common to see now homosexuality and gender identity as part of life, and it's celebrated. Uh, We're inundated with this this kind of, of, of ideology. Have you ever, let me about this, have you ever heard of the phrase, you be you, or Go find yourself. I'm going to go find myself. Those kind of ideas um, didn't just come out this year or the last couple of years. Um, you can trace some of these expressive individualism back to some of the early philosophical thinker, thinkers such as Descartes. I think, therefore, I am, right? Uh, or Rousseau, who said that to know who a person is, one needs access to their inner thoughts, uh, the Romantic thinkers as well uh, stated that nature plays a part in a person's emotions, forming their moral statements. These are all things, again, that Truman kind of highlights a little bit more if you want to dig into that more. Uh, but they granted authority to a person's feelings in their inner psychological space, or we call safe space, right? What's the person's safe space today? Um, and he unpacks, again, a lot of this more in his book. But how do these expressive individualistic ideologies interact with our doctrinal teaching of the depravity of man and sin, uh, forgiveness, repentance, salvation? And, and we know that from our teaching, from this church, from our own personal study, um, there are so many things in Scripture that teach about how we are to live as children of God. And Scripture isn't short of any introspection you know, self-introspection as far as what things are going on uh, in our own lives. I think about David who wrote in Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you, uh, that you um, care for him? 
Or Paul in Romans 6 when he said, what shall we say then? So should we sin so that grace may abound? So this, this, these questions that, that, that these writers of our scriptures have asked uh, are found in there. The difference between the biblical self-reflection and this expressive individualism is that uh, today, um, Scripture doesn't end with just man's thoughts. Uh, rather, it concludes with giving attention to God and His ultimate authority. So the focus is then shifted off of ourselves and focused on, on God. You think about the imprecatory psalms that, that are written. A lot of times they say, Lord, bring down fire and, and brimstone on, on, on my enemies. The Marines love those kind of prayers. Uh, they love those imprecatory kind of prayers. But, but the whole idea is, but then, Lord, you are holy, you are just, and it brings it back to God. Even though in the frustration of, of that self-reflection, it's always driven back to God. Um, for instance, in Psalm 8, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Or Paul, to conclude that, that phrase in, in, in uh, Romans 6, says, By no means should we continue sinning. Because just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too walk in newness of life. And the whole idea is that this beauty of, of the authors of Scripture, was they were men who struggled with life. They had challenges in their culture that they were dealing with at that time as well. And the difference is, is that they focused their attention back on God because their identity was in Christ. Um, and these words are sufficient for us in determining every aspect of our lives as we think about where we stand. So how do we take Scripture and determine how we are to interact with this world uh, that has this agenda that's being constantly pushed on us uh, in the way of thinking that they have? How do we witness to those that are wrestling with their own identity? Um, I think the first step before we even get to that is considering our own identity. Where do we land in our relationship with Christ? Where do we find ourselves um, and in and when we talked about those earlier platforms or groups that we're a part of, um, how do we intermix with that, but then have Christ as the foundation? Um, when the elect, those who, who are chosen by God, finally consider and realize our need for Christ as a Savior, lifestyle changes take place, don't they? They should, as, as, as we're renewed, right? We become a new creature, as, as Paul talks about. Um, and I want to close out our time here kind of this morning by focusing on a couple of key verses in, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, I wish there, were, there was more time to, um, to dig into this, but uh, we'll, let, we'll let Kevin do that. So um, I think as far as uh, if you want to turn with me, I'm going to be reading through and kind of jumping through Ephesians chapter 4. As Paul uh, wrote this letter to the Ephesians, there's so many comparisons between the pagan world of Paul's day and I think our culture today that we can take from Ephesians and really apply it to today. Um, but part of our move towards having our identity solely in Christ is to remove those, those areas uh, that so easily entangle us, right? That sin that so entraps us. Um, we need to remove our old self and our old way of thinking. And it's easy to think and behave sinfully because it's our nature from birth. Uh, but part of living this new life involves a putting off of our former life and a putting on a new life with Christ. Um, so let's look at uh, Ephesians four seventeen through 19. Let me read those verses first for us. 
Paul says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Again, easily can apply that to today's culture, right? Uh, he's, he's kind of introducing this, this whole idea of, of, of uh, the hardening of hearts and whatnot. Uh, Pastor Kent Hughes in his commentary gives a good description of the stages that kind of take place in a person's life um, who are walking in the futility of their minds. Uh, he says that uh, he describes this first a hardening of people's hearts. It's the, the, the words coming from, from Paul's letter here, this hardening of a person's heart, uh, which describes an inability and an unwillingness to respond to God's truth. Um, people today suppress God's truth. They know it's there. Um, they just decide to suppress it. Romans 1, talks, he, again, Paul talks about uh, they know the truth is there, but they've just suppressed it. They choose to just ignore it altogether. Um, People are darkened in their understanding, another point that Hughes makes. They're darkened in their understanding and unable to discern spiritual reality, thus making them alienated from God and ignorant of God's truth. Um, Again, darkened in understanding. They're just completely turning off. And the consequence of all this leads them to this reckless lifestyle that uh, Paul is addressing here, giving them up to to be callous, right? Um, Just kind of a, you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do kind of attitude. And Hughes writes this, he goes, a loss of the biblical vision of the world is behind the erosion of orthodoxy Christianity in many places. Because if you imagine the world is better than it is, the necessity of Christ and his cross is lessened, and the potential of unregenerate man is elevated. Um, this shouldn't lower our, our confidence, because Paul continues by giving us a picture of, again, this old self that we've had. He said, don't continue living like the Gentiles did in the futility of their minds, but let's, let's look at it from a different place. What, what should we be doing? So look at verses 20 through 24. Let me read these for us. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In these verses, Paul kind of gives a new perspective and reminds us um, that we are not like those that are walking in the futility of our minds. That as, as Christians, as believers, um, he challenges us to come to Christ continually and he says this continually, to put off the old self, because he knows sin's involved in our lives. It's not a one-and-done thing. Come to know Christ, and then you're good to go until he comes again or, or he takes us home, right? No, there, there's a constant struggle, right? There's a battle that goes on in our lives, this old shedding of these garments. So as I was thinking about this, and go with me here, so if those of y'all who've, who know an old, old flick here, the Christmas story, right? We're coming up on Christmas. You remember that scene, those of y'all have seen this movie, where... Uh, Randy, I think is his name, Ralphie, the, the main character who wants the Red Rider BB gun, right? Uh, his brother, Randy, is going off to school. And you remember that picture where his mom is dressing him up? 
and, and she's basically wrapping every kind of layer of clothes on and that his arms are just stuck straight out. He can't even lower his arms, right? You remember that scene? Um, but if you don't, haven't seen that movie, just think about that, right? Just this, this, a constant layering of clothes. And I think about that, that it was uncomfortable for him. Obviously, he could not walk, couldn't even talk at some point. And so I think having that picture, uh, as, as simple or a silly example as that is, uh, the transformation uh, to continually peel off those garments, right? To gain comfort, to gain our identity, which is ultimately in Christ. And those are some examples uh, as far as removing those outer layers uh, so that we can function and live as Christ designed and wants us to. Um, Sometimes we don't want to remove what's comfortable. It's sinful, but we think we like living in those, that culture of, of, of comfort, right? Uh, and so when we, we have those things, um, being comfortable and warm and cozy, it's hard to do. But in order to find our identity truly in Christ, it's imperative that we remove that sin that easily entangles us. And this identity in Christ comes as we follow what Paul described as being renewed in the spirit of our mind in verse 24. Um, we've seen this language in another of Paul's books, right? Romans 12, again, Romans is another great book, but Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we don't know what's good, acceptable, and perfect when we're, our, our eyes are blinded by all those things that are distracting us. Um, how are we to discern these things that Paul is mentioning? Um, we need not only look back at the remaining of Paul's letter, I mean the rest of Paul's letter. Again, I'm not going to unpack all of it here, but, but just to see how a pretty extensive list of how um, we are to live a life of an identity, what that, what that looks like, an identity and a life in Christ. Um, I'm just going to kind of take some time to, to just jump on some, some verses here. So you can follow along with me if you, if you, if you dare, uh, because I'm not going to read the whole verses, but I'm just going to highlight a couple of these phrases and just either listen to them or try and find them in your scripture. But uh, I'm just going to kind of read through the rest of chapter 4 and 5 and, and ultimately end up at 6 and listen to some of those things and maybe take some time this afternoon to, or this week to kind of look through what is Paul saying, how am I supposed to live? What does this identity in Christ look like? What, what does this mean to be in Christ, as he talked about in chapter 1 of, of this letter? But listen to some of these things. Um, these are things that we should be doing to put on this new self. Speak the truth. Be angry and do not sin. Labor and do not steal. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Be kind to one another. Be imitators in Christ. Have no filthy talk come out of your mouth. Do not be deceived. Walk as children of light. Make the most use of your time. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Give thanks to God for everything. God, Paul then addresses in chapter 5, then he goes, okay, well, how, now how are children supposed to behave? How are wives and husbands supposed to behave? How are those who work for people to behave? Um, and I'm sure the whole idea of roles and responsibilities, um, I'm sure as, as Kevin's kind of unpacking this, is, is what, what does it look like for male and female, or roles and, and all these things. I'm sure Kevin will be addressing some of these things in a later class. But, but look finally at how Paul chooses to close the letter in chapter 6. 
Um, we've just discussed how we are to put off or shed all those clothes, right? All, those, all that old self. Well, once you put it off, what do you fill that void with? Um, he says, put on the whole armor of God. So once you've shed all that old corrupt, corruptible things, living like the Gentiles live, those pagans live, there's a hole, there's a void. So now you need to put on the whole armor of God. And then you know those passages, right? The, 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 the breastplate of righteousness and all those different things, the belt of truth, all those things that you see in chapter 6. Again, y'all read those for yourselves. Just really unpack that in the context of what we're talking about this morning. Um, and uh, let me just encourage you that as, as we live in this world, we face trials every day, don't we? We struggle with things, with, with life. Um, there's void that, that, that kind of fills ourselves. And this, these whole things that we identify with as far as our groups that we're a part of will never, ever replace what a life in Christ will accomplish. Um, we face spiritual battles every day. Um, we, we read in Scripture and Peter where he talks about Satan obviously walks around the earth seeking whom he may devour. Um, it's not that we have a perfect life. Uh, we know that um, Satan wants to be disruptive in here, uh, to come to church. is a struggle. Those of y'all who have little kids and trying to get to church, every Sunday is always a struggle, right? And you just want to give up. Or the times that you've been studying God's Word or being convicted about a certain thing, right? We, we struggle with those things on a daily basis. Um, we think about myself being in the military. We train for certain Exercise. We do different exercises for physical battle and war, uh, and so um, you know, providing all those that training and all the different things that we go through. But yet, we as Christians are on a spiritual battle every day, and I think sometimes we forget that, and we need to remind ourselves uh, to be sharp, to put on this armor, as Paul is talking about, um, and the way we survive these battles. Um, of our identity and our culture is to find, again, our first and foremost, what is our identity in Christ looks like? Because you think about, too, when you're struggling, when, when you're having conversations with people, maybe it's family members, maybe it's somebody, a neighbor or somebody you work with who's struggling with this gender identity or the religious identity. By having somebody they can look at as an example, how much more effective can that be when we are, are living and breathing and being christ to them, which is why I, I, in the, the bottom of your, your outline there, I included a, uh, a prayer from St. Patrick, his breastplate. So this, some of y'all may have seen this before. It's, it's, it's pretty familiar. Um, it's actually quite extensive. So this is just an excerpt. But just to give you a little bit of background on this, and then I'll wrap up with this and pray. But um, he was born in 386. Uh, and he was a well-known missionary to the king of Ireland. He, he was in Ireland as a missionary, but he specifically he wanted to witness to the king of Ireland. Um, and uh, he's the one, obviously, we celebrate March 17th, right? St. Patrick's Day. So we're the green and the pension, the leprechauns and all that stuff. It's not about that. It's about celebrating what St. Patrick did, okay? And so um, it said that he had this inscription on his breastplate when he went to go witness to the king. And um, again, it's pretty extensive. You can go Google it if you'd like, but I just put this portion. Let me read this in the context of, again, this putting on Christ. What does that look like for us as believers? He says this, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, 
Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left, Christ in the fort, Christ in the chariot seat, Christ in the deck, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. What if we were to live just like that, that everyone who saw us saw Christ? And that's something that we need to focus on. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that brings us truth in a world that says there are no absolute truths. Thank you for sovereignly reigning over all your creation, for giving us your Holy Spirit to comfort and guide us as we maneuver through the challenges and struggles and the battles of life. Uh, Convict us of our lack of faith and teach us to trust in you and to grow our spiritual armor to be able to defend ourselves against these fiery darts of the devil. Help us to encourage and sharpen one another as we eagerly await Christ's return one day. But until that day, help us to take advantage of growing in our identity and our relationship with Christ. It's in the name of Christ our Savior that I pray these things. Amen.